Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie. This is Tiffany. This is Elizabeth. And we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies. And today, we're discussing the wage gap between white women and women of color. Women of color are perpetually underpaid. The wage gap number receives the most public attention is the overall ratio of women's to men's earnings. Women make 83 cents for every dollar earned by men. This data is from 2020. This aggregate number shows an incomplete picture because it treats women as a monolith and obscures the different economic realities experienced by women of color. Wage gaps are calculated using white men as the benchmark because historically they had the highest wages. So what does the research tell us? Well, Francine Blau and Lawrence Kahn estimated that 62% of the wage gap is explained by differences in industries or jobs, differences in hours worked, and differences in years of experience. However, the remaining 38% is not easily explained by quantifiable factors. Blau and Kahn, as well as other researchers, attribute this remaining portion of the gap to factors such as the effects of discrimination. White women make 79 cents for every dollar that a white man earns. However, um, that changes once you turn or once you look at women of color. For example, Asian women make a dollar and one cent for every dollar earned by white men, but multiracial Asian women make 98 cents for every dollar a man makes. Um, and then the least paid, which is kind of shocking to me, is Hispanic women. 57 cents for every dollar made by a man. I've been aware of these numbers for some time. And I think the thing that keeps coming back to me is how little progress we've made on a lot of these, right? I even think that these demographic number, the numbers we have here representing these, um, the demographics of women, it's from 2020. And now we're in 2022 and we have inflation that's crazy and wages that are out of whack. So I really wonder if this has gotten worse, right? I, I would almost expect that it has just because you think of, and we're talking about women, which largely have, um, not largely, but you know, large numbers of women have children that they are responsible to take care of. And you think about the effects that are compounded on women of color when it comes to taking care of children and lower wages. And I just, yeah, I worry that these could be even worse than, than we're looking at right here. So the, these numbers were impacted by COVID-19, so they're a little bit um, skewed in terms of that, um, specifically also because women of color tend to work in service industries or hospitality industries, um, so they take on the role of caregivers a lot, which is not necessarily a very high-paid job, um, so that's another thing we have to take into consideration. Yeah, totally, and I, I did not know at all um, about the, the fact that Asian women are vastly like earning more than their uh, multiracial Black, Hispanic, et cetera, counterparts. I did not know that at all. But, and I, it also makes me wonder too, though, like both by industry and by like nationality. Because um, like in our episode where we talked about um, the Atlanta shooting, we were, we talked a lot about how like Asians aren't a monolith and that there's like lots of different types of Asians <laughs> and also like depending on when your family immigrated to the United States, uh, that vastly changes your experience. Like I can see how definitely like women, in, Asian women in STEM 
like okay sounds sounds like about right um that they would be making similar amounts of money as white men um but I know that in the service industries that cannot be possible um and for like you know immigrant and like first generation immigrant and refugee populations that's definitely not uh the case and so I think that um like what I guess what's interesting to me about that statistic is that it's still um a, an umbrella for so many other different um sectors of the economy yeah yeah and I'm glad you mentioned um like women in STEM especially like educated people right educated women um so getting an education and a degree does help but it doesn't help as much as we would think it actually women hold two-thirds of the nation's outstanding student loan debt and um, the majority of them are black women i want to say it was in dc or baltimore during the pandemic where they were looking at families of color and white families and what was their general wealth and white families it was like in the tens of thousands that most white families have at any given time on average right and then uh their um, families of color, and it might have been specifically Black families, they were saying $8. And they're like, not 80, not 800, $8. And so when you think about the student debt, um, and I know I myself did take debt, but we know that white families have more wealth. And so when you talk about the amount of debt someone's going to have to take on, generally speaking, white women would not have to take on as much as women of color. And then when you think about what that does for their actual like net income and what they get to spend versus how much they're paying in debt it's actually worse again than this number we're seeing up there right because even if you know where's that number even if hispanic women are making 57 cents for every white dollar one dollar earned by white men if they're paying more for their student loans that also decreases their spendable income so it's kind of this double whammy that um we really need to think about when it comes to having people take on debt to go to school and how do we adequately um, better serve the system so that those who are already, you know, earning less don't later have to pay more for their education as well. I, this obviously like we should cancel student loan debt. This is stupid. Why are we not doing it? Joe, get your app together. But also I just recently learned that the university that receives the most public like federal funding from the US is Johns Hopkins like and all of that goes to like research like we have money to like to go around and it's just it's shocking to me that it's like you know like fighting with financial aid is the worst and like it's like individual like financial aid advisors are like just trying to do their best but like you have to like justify like every single dollar you get from them and then you turn around and hear that of the like 2.7 billion dollars that Johns Hopkins spent on research last year 2.4 billion came from the federal government you're like hmm I I think that like there is money there you know like we're not <laughs> well, it's super wild too because we there's lots of publications that have made this clear but it never gets enough attention which is the US Department of Education, one of the only things until we've been doing public service loan forgiveness in the last, like this last term of Biden, um, 
brings in money, right? Like they're loaning money out and they make money on the debt that people are taking out, which I get that that's how banks works, right? But that's why I could take a private loan. Me, myself, I didn't take private loans. I was like, I'll be better off taking my like US Department of Ed loans. And I I graduated in 20, oh my gosh, 2006 was when I got my undergrad and I still haven't paid it off, right? And I'm a teacher. And because I wasn't a full-time teacher, because I came into teaching during the recession, so I only got a part-time job and I'm paying a ton in debt and I still have a ton that I owe. And so again, I think this is my story and I come from a much more sound background of having family that had some means to help me. I mean, my parents didn't take loans for me. I had to take my own, but I could definitely, if I couldn't buy books, I could go knock on my mom's door and say, can you help me buy books? Right. Um, but I feel like, again, there's, there's a real problem with what's happening with student loan debt right now. Um, when people who've been paying again, like myself for almost, gosh, it's going to be almost 20 years. Right. And I still haven't paid down my principal of my undergraduate, which is just crazy. And again, that's because the interest rate is so high on the US Department of Ed um, loans. Like why not let us refinance that into a lower amount, right? Why not? There's so many other options that could happen on top of having some kind of loan forgiveness. Um, there's other answers that would still make things easier. Um, the people who've been managing it, whether it's like Naviant or Fed loans or any of those groups, they also misapply your payments. So for me, for the last, I guess it's not quite 20 years. So it's like 15, 16 years, all of my payments were being paid, paid directly to interest rather than the principal. So that's why mine has never gone down. Um, unfortunately, hopefully it will still stick around with the Biden administration. But um, if you're, you know, public loan forgiveness um, for public service, like Maybe, maybe that will happen if it sticks around. But again, this we need to have a more targeted effort when we think about these inequities that exist, that it shouldn't just be for public workers. We should look at, okay, well, which groups need more loan forgiveness than others as well when we talk about canceling, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I had to take out loans to finish my undergrad. Um, I was lucky though. I only had to take out, only had to take out 10 grand. I feel like that's ridiculous to say compared to some people who have to borrow like $80,000 to finish their education. And I'm still paying it off as well. I graduated in 2015. Um, with the pandemic, obviously they kind of put our payments on hold. They told us we didn't have to pay, but, um, I want the reason I bring this up is because in a 40 year career span, black women lose $964,000. Hispanic women lose $1,163,920. And that's with a degree. You're saying lose in student loan payments or in no, in terms of like not making earnings. what every man makes, like not making the dollar. Mm -hmm. So that's in earnings. Yeah. That's how much is lost. That's ridiculous. You buy like two houses. Yeah, that's retirement, right? Yeah. That's what they say we should retire on. So you're talking about people who will maybe never be able to retire because they weren't able to save that amount of money. Right. Yeah. And just to like, I mean, the reason why, so like the reason why back in the day, like women were not paid as much as men. And the justification for that was 
that like, oh, their, their husbands, you know, would be the primary breadwinner, um, and that they would just be supplementing income and therefore like didn't need that much money. And so like, that's where this all comes from is the fact that like people thought like that women did not need retirements, you know, that like the man. Yeah, that is <laughs> like, that's, that's one argument. And the other argument that I found is they say women of color choose to work in jobs with low pay and few benefits, but that actually just oversimplifies why we make less. Yeah, and it's not like people choose to like work in low paying jobs. Like, hello, like people don't yeah. choose. Like people, people are forced to because of economic conditions, like accept conditions of low wages, bad working conditions and like, you know, no unionization because they're forced to, not because they choose to. Right. Well, and then you think if you add the issue of like childcare on top of that, like if you are making minimum wage or not even minimum wage, if you have a college degree and you're making a beginning salary and have student loans, and let's say you have a child, um, maybe you have a spouse, maybe you don't, maybe you have a partner, maybe you don't, but a lot of people are, your options for employment are very restricted right? Like you can work evenings when maybe someone can stay with your child at home, or you can work very irregular hours that you fill when you can, right? Because wages and equal wages is power and voice. Yes. And like, just to be clear, I was not, I'm not I was not out here being like, yes, women don't need oh, retirement. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Women don't need, I know you weren't saying that. I'm just saying, I think it speaks to something even larger than just that, right? It's like, when, when people in the past used to say that, I think even today I have grandparents, I'm sure y'all know some older folks and I, not all, Hey, anyone listening who's older, I'm not saying everyone feels this way, but you know, my grandparents bless their souls. They've all passed, but they did often say those kind of things, right? You just need a husband who makes enough money that you don't have to work, or you just need it. You know, those kind of things. It was the socialization of the belief that women didn't need a voice because maybe they weren't sophisticated enough to even have a voice, right? So I do have one question. We've obviously talked about like the different uh, wages people receive, but among your circles, do you ever discuss your wages? Should you be discussing your wages? How do you feel about that? That is such a good question. (laughs) I think everyone should talk about their wages. I've been lucky enough to work in mostly public jobs where anyone could look at my wage and it's often on a pay scale where people see it. And, you know, there's a lot of data to support the idea that when you're on a pay scale and when things are public, the wages, there's less differentiation between them. Um, But it's crazy because even in these public jobs I've worked in, I know for a fact that people with very similar experience to myself or maybe less years of experience, but definitely as much education and things of that sort were hired at a lower rate than myself and they were women of color, right? So it's kind of like, what is going on here, right? Um, And I have brought it up to my own supervisors at times where I'm like, why aren't we paid the same, right? Oh, well, they, you know, different experiences. And it kind of brings me back to, um, that initial, um, that initial percentage that like the remaining 38% is not easily explainable. So I feel like uh, everyone should talk about it. Yeah, everyone should talk about it. If you're not getting paid fairly, you should go demand more. Not that it's that easy. No, it's not that easy, but yeah. So like 
Um, something that the union right now where I work is fighting for is a bilingual stipend. We don't get paid for knowing a second language. They just are, the job description says bilingual preferred. However, there is no like compensation if you speak another language, whether it's Spanish or not, um, because we have other people who speak different languages and they also don't get that compensation. And obviously they're also people of color. <laughs> So that hurts them as well. I used to work at a hospital back in California and we, we were all women in my little office where I worked and we did discuss our wages. Um, everybody had about a dollar to $2 difference in their wage. And it was crazy to me. Like one girl made $10 an hour, which was the minimum at the time. Another one made 11. I made 13. And then the like higher ups, or I guess the lady that had more experience was like at 17. So it was crazy to me that like, well, also the lady who made the most was a white lady. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. <laughs> um, as someone who like makes the minimum wage at our university, which is fifteen dollars an hour, so like yay, I guess. Um, I <laughs> yay, I guess it's like the story of my life. <laughs> uh, I I think that uh, like between like my peers and I, like we all just like make fifteen dollars an hour. But one thing that I was that I thought was a good change is that. Um, I didn't like expect to be paid for the positions that I'm paid for. Um, not, for some of them, yes, not for others. Um, and I think that like what surprised me was that like my um, bosses were the ones who brought it up first that like maybe like would I wanna be compensated? And it's like, yes, <laughs> please pay me. <laughs> um, but that there's, especially in like research science there's like less of a culture of um, like paying people for their actual work especially if they're like trainees or new. Um, and I think that that's like, it's a really good step forward that, um, that, you know, obviously like, you know, as an institution that's like, will not let us forget that we're the number one research university. Like, yeah, we do. Like, it's good that at least some financial resources are actually going towards like putting money where, you know, the admins mouths are. Um, but yeah. So I, I think that like, that was very positive. The fact that like, um, that our bosses and the people who are like in charge um, were also the ones who were like, let's formalize this, like your working relationship here so that both sides are held accountable. And I think that at the end of the day, like especially for people just entering the workforce or like for like college students and things, like it's so easy to personally be like, I know nothing, therefore I deserve nothing. And then also like, you know, more broadly be like, well, like, you know, I'm just early, you know, in my career and that like later on, like it'll get better. Um, so yeah, like unpaid internships, bad. Don't those, yeah. I think I'm glad that it seems like they're going out of style. <laughs> you know, what's interesting when you're saying um, people don't, it just made me think like people don't ask for what they're worth or don't realize what they're worth or whatever. And I was talking to um, a friend who does hiring and they were saying they're a recruiter professionally. And they were saying on average women, she, she feels asked for about 20 to $40,000 less than what they would be offered. Right. So like, if they're like, well, what are you looking for? They often will go in at under 20 to 40 less 
than what they were expecting, right? And so, of course, businesses often, unless they're really making an act like an adequate effort to try and fix it, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you only want forty thousand. I was ready to pay you sixty, but cool, forty's good. Um, so I think that that happens. Um, a lot. And so my advice to anyone who's getting out into the workforce and either hasn't been out there for a while or is just coming out of school is ask for way more than you think they'll give you. And they'll come back if they want you, they'll come back at you with something more reasonable, but there really is, I don't know. I think everyone should just put it out there and try for something because it sounds like it's a pretty common trend that people don't think they're worth as much as they are. Um, one thing, Elizabeth, that you said that I also wanted to comment on was the idea that like bilingual as a skill isn't compensated is crazy to me, right? Because you think like years of experience is compensated, licensure is compensated, um, these pretty specific pieces um, and being bilingual is a pretty specific piece that it seems like businesses, schools, all those places, like a stipend is I almost um, call bullshit on that where it's like, fix the pay. Like, mm -hmm. thanks for the stipend, but I don't want your stipend. I want you to compensate me for my skill. Yeah, it baffles me. I, um, I'm now a team lead and I had one of the um, members ask me to whether they could send a document to interpretation or not, but it was only a one page document. And I had to come back with the answer as, well, you're bilingual. You're expected to be able to translate one-page documents. You can't bother interpretations for a one-page document. And I hated having to give that answer. Um, so my so I countered with, once you translate it, I can help you review it. But yeah, that, that sucks. It sucks to have to do that. And um, going back to the, the salary question, it's one of the questions I hate when doing interviews. I hate it. I hate it when they ask. I never know what to say. Um, the last time I did one, I researched what the average was in the state. Um, and I told the recruiter that and she was like, oh, geez. OK, but what do you feel comfortable with? And I feel like the answer I gave undervalued all the experience I have. I was like 53,000. This is a corporate place, right? This is a corporation who could probably pay me like 65,000 a year. But I was so afraid to say that, that I'm worth that. I was just like 53,000. That's fine. And that's $25 an hour. There's also this lack of awareness for those of us who, well, and this makes me question some of these wages too, for those who go into nonprofit work versus um, corporate work, right? Where I know um, I know if it's like teaching, right, you have a certain expectation because there's this pay scale. But when I look at what people who are leaving teaching right now, because that's happening all over the place, when they're shifting into corporate work, they're getting over $100,000, right? So it's kind of like that's doubling a lot of their income. Um, and so you think, you're right. I bet people could really ask for a lot more, especially people who are making shifts from nonprofit to um, profit industries. Do you think that gender wage gap can be narrowed, whether it's just we take it as a monolith, the 83 cents for every dollar the man makes, or whether we take it as the difference between Asian women, white women, Black women, and Hispanic. Oh, and Native American women is also included in this. Um, I, I do think it can be addressed. I think it's something that um, 
I think it can be addressed. I think it's going to come down to the industries actually doing it and the pressure that's put on them, right, by different groups. And then when it comes down to addressing it as a conglomerate of women versus women broken down by de demographic, I think we, we do have to look at it broken down by demographic because we know, like, what good is it if we're only helping one group, really? Or you could even see one group go lower and another one go higher in the average but I mean, the average could be totally like, oh, we've made so much progress. Meanwhile, we like stop paying Hispanic women and you know what I mean? So I think we have to look at that subsection when we're addressing that. And I know there are some companies and I'm not saying, I don't know much about this, but I know some women who work at Nike and I know a couple of years back, there was an actual effort to say, we looked at the average pay of men and you need to make this much more. And they literally jumped a whole bunch of women's salary. Um, I'm just going to acknowledge the small little voice people hear here really quick because yes, that is my child and he thinks life is great. So, um, and he also thinks women, all women should be paid that dollar on the dollar as well. I believe it. At his big age of four. Yeah. Okay. I have one more fact. So at the current pace and without further comprehensive action on equal pay, Black and Hispanic women in the U.S. are projected to reach pay parity with white men until not until 2133 and 2220, respectively. 2220. It's not a mistake. Those are the numbers that are being shown. That's crazy. <laughs> the per societal perception of like Asian women's worth to society versus like Latina women or Black women, uh, like, value to society is so, um, like, there's just such a disparity between the two, and I think that, like, the question is, like, you know, like, the, obviously, what these numbers show is that, like, it is possible to achieve gender parity, right, like, Asian women have done it on, like, on a large, uh, very, like, monolithic scale, like, yes, so, like how like which just goes to show that it's not about like quote-unquote scarcity or the lack of resources or the lack of like ability just for like the economy to do it it's a lack of like political will yeah yeah, yeah it kind of leaves you speechless and then just just kind of to go back to the figures as to why it would take so long hispanic women make 57 cents for every dollar Black women make 64 cents for every dollar. Multiracial Black women make 63 cents. So that that's crazy. That's nowhere near the dollar. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, and sorry, just to remind people, Asian women on average make a dollar and a cent to every white man's dollar. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, I was flabbergasted by those numbers. Like, I'm not even going to be alive to see it. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll find the fountain of youth and I can actually see it. <laughs> or alternatively, we make it faster. <laughs> or we make it faster. There is a, a legislation that people want to pass. It's called the Paycheck Fairness Act, which is equal pay legislation that will strengthen existing protections and further combat discriminatory practices. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> or coming into the workforce, I guess, did you expect, you know, like, was it in your mind knowing that, like, you know, you would be paid less than your male peers? And, like, was that something that was on your radar to begin with? Yeah, so I kind of knew that 
for one, being a woman, I was going to get paid less. And for being a woman of color, that was going to be another factor. Um, I have, I have a bachelor's in science and even that doesn't really help me all that much. Um, I get paid the same as someone who only has an associate's degree or has only uh, credits towards an associate degree, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, it, it kind of invalidates the work that I've put in, the fact that I've gotten this degree, the fact that I have this experience. Um, so that's that's kind of disheartening. Obviously, we all live our own lives and we have our own struggles, but um, I have almost eight years under my belt working. I have this degree um, and I, I still feel like I'm not being paid what I'm worth, especially doing the job of five different people, now managing a team. Um, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for me to face what I'm doing, knowing the number or the dollar amount that I make. But I love what I do, so I will continue doing it. And I think that's where also where a lot of people fall into the trap. Like it was saying that women of color specifically go into the service or nonprofits or caregiving roles. And we care so much that we kind of overlook the fact that we get paid so little. Yeah, totally. And I think we talked about this a little bit in our episode with Eliseo um, when we did our interview with him. So go check that out if you haven't yet um, for our listeners. Um, But yeah, like totally like, you know, nonprofits are also like, you know, at the end of the day, like there's a business model, you know, like it's not to like make money necessarily, but like it needs to like run itself. And I think that like inherently, you know, it can become um, exploitative, um, especially of like altruism, which is like worse (laughs) than just like, you know, run of the mill exploitation. (laughs) Both are terrible to be clear, but uh, yeah, let's like not exploit people's like actual, like wanting to do things and let's maybe not burn them out. And um, yeah, totally. Well, that's what's happening right now in the workforce. So many people are being burnt out. Specific, and COVID-19 has also showed people that they don't need to work in an office, that they can be productive in their homes. So a lot of things are getting turned over because people would rather have remote jobs. And so then that that also increases like the scarcity of workers, but people aren't exactly raising the wages. So you want, you want to entice people to work for you, but you're still going to pay them peanuts. Like how, how does that equate? Yeah, definitely. The situation that you're in right now with like doing the work of like 5 million people on like on just your own, it just just sounds like, you know, not only like are there big structural problems, but also it just sounds like very, um, you know, overwhelming and so much. So all the best to you. <laughs> Thank you. It is overwhelming, yeah. but you know, we somebody has to do it. And unfortunately, unfortunately, in quotations, it's me, the one that's doing it. And like I said, I like what I do. Unfortunately, I don't feel that I get compensated. And I also feel that the structure in which I work with, it's more of a, it's not necessarily a team. It's like wherever you fit is where you go. And it's not even a good fit. It's just like, we need a body here. <laughs> so kind of thing. But um, it is what it is, right? But yeah, I would say that that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Send us 
what you think about how much you're getting paid. And also, how do you have those conversations with other people in your workplace about how much you're earning? Because like, yeah, we can say we should be having conversations about that. But like in practice, how does that actually work? Let us know. We'll yeah. And also like, is the conversation just between women or is the conversation also with your male counterparts? Mm. And once you find out what they make, are you then suddenly going to go to HR? Because I want to hear these stories. Maybe, maybe some of you have, maybe some of you have heard that John XYZ over there makes $10,000 a year more than you. And you're like, okay, that's not cool. I'm going to go to HR and fix this. So if you have those stories, please share them with us. Yeah, totally. And here's, this is also the time to plug negotiation bootcamp, um, women in science PDX. We hold a negotiation bootcamp every year. We have instructors and it's like one of our most highly sort of regarded programs. Um, so be sure to check that out. So before we sign off, we wanted to give you three easy ways that you can support women in science Portland. Number one, if you have Instagram, go to at women in science PDX and follow us. And here's the thing, you have to make sure to like all of our most recent posts so that the algorithm knows you wanna see this content. It's dumb, it's silly, here we are. Instagram's algorithm recently went through a change where you might not even see all the posts who that have been posted by the people you follow. So that way you can stay on top of all the new events, blog posts and podcast episodes that we work so hard to put together for the community. So make sure you do stay plugged into uh, what is happening with WISPDX if you are on social media. The second thing you can do is just subscribe to this podcast so that you automatically get updates when we do release episodes. That way you don't have to keep checking every two weeks when we release them. And the third thing you can do if you feel comfortable and have the resources to donate to our nonprofit, head to womeninsciencepdx.org slash donate. Your money goes straight to things like our high demand scholarships for low income schools and educators and honorariums for negotiation bootcamp instructors and speakers. Um, so I think that, you know, more or less wraps up um, our conversation today. Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood and make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episodes and comment so more folks can find us or just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word and tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod. You can email us at podcast at womeninsciencepdx.org. We would love to hear from you. And of course, special thanks to Homo Kostoriani who designed our cover art. See y'all later.